Amen. So here we are in Luke chapter 8. We are now going to look at this really terrific story. I love this picture of Jesus as he goes up against legion, the thousands of demons that have really taken captive this demoniac and really caused him so much anguish. And we will read this in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tie this back a little bit to the passage that Jeff preached on last week on Jesus calming the storm. Because it does seem a bit unusual. And I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It is about 380 feet below sea level. There are these mountains that kind of form a little bit of a kind of a, a, a wind tunnel there that will allow the winds to kick up. I've been there as the winds have kicked up. It is kind of cool. But it's not as though like there were waves big enough to really swamp a boat when I was there. And it's almost as though that these kind of waves that need to be about just the right size of the fishing boat that they were in would have been unusually large for, for any time of year. And so unusual that many have presented the idea, and I think rightly so, that perhaps this was not just a natural consequence, but a supernatural consequence. And here's what I mean. Uh, in, in verse 26, it says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. This is building off of what Jeff preached on last week which is across the lake from Galilee. And let's see if this is coming over. And here you can see this uh, region of Galilee and the, the Sea of Galilee here. This dotted line would have been the path that uh, the boat with the disciples and Jesus would have taken. And it is, as it says, directly across from Capernaum. Capernaum is Jesus's home base. It's where much of the events of the Gospels take place. And as he gets in the boat, of course, we know this, this idea that the boat is, you know, engulfed in this squall and about to be swamped. And, and the whole time, as I'm sure you looked at last week, Jesus is kicking it, taking a nap in the midst of that. But taking a nap in a storm that is, in, in a lot of dimensions, a supernatural storm that is going on right there for Jesus. And many have, have thought that this, this part of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee, right across there, the Gerasenes, where Jesus is heading, according to verse 26, there is some, some, some real mountainous area there. But that little distance right there is one that you can look at from the Gerasene side or from the Capernaum side and look at every inch of the way across the Sea of Galilee. It's not so large that... You know, the circumference of the earth in any way uh, you, creates a, a curvature so that you can't see on this sea. It's not that big of a sea. And, and so, especially from the vantage point of being up on a cliff, as the people on the other side and garrisons would have been, up on a cliff, they would have then watched the boat set out from Capernaum with Jesus and the disciples. And then as the, as the boat is making its way across, I'm sure... If you're the demoniac that we're going to encounter in a minute, this man that is possessed by thousands of demons, that these demons who know Jesus, we, we've seen this already earlier in the, in, in the Gospel of Luke, they know who he is, they understand his power, and they know what he's going to do to them. And as they see Jesus making his way across the sea, and the sea is a frightening place in Jewish culture, and I, I know Jeff preached on this a bit, that while we kind of like the sea, they hated the sea. They view, I mean, they like streams and rivers, sure. 
But the sea, I mean, that was the deep, dark depths. That was the abyss. That was kind of viewed as, as the really frightening place of even where the dead might end up uh, residing. So as Jesus is making his way across this frightening body of water from a Jewish perspective, there are the demons possessing this man and watching Jesus, and he's coming right for them. Jesus didn't have a mission to the Gentiles. He came first to the Jews. Why all of a sudden does he change course while preaching to the Jews and decides, I'm going to take a detour in my ministry and go to the Gentiles, to whom I was not even sent. And, it, and as it says here, they sailed across to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. And legion is the full complement of a Roman army, which is 6,000 soldiers. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, as, as we look at this, this map here, know that these demons understood that it was none other than the Son of God, the Holy One, who demons had already been calling Jesus that from earlier in Luke's Gospel. So they already understand this about Jesus. Get rid of this, sorry. And as they see Jesus coming for them, I speculate that as legion, this legion of demons see Jesus, and here he comes, and they're like, Oh, that boat is pointed right at us, isn't it? Oh, you know what? He's coming right here. It's obvious. And then as he gets into the middle of the sea and he takes a nap, I think Legion decided now is our chance. Now is our chance to be able to take out the Holy One, the Son of God. And off they go with whipping up the sea into an, in a frenzy of, of supernatural proportion where fishermen who are used to this sort of stuff are suddenly beside themselves and, and coming to Jesus because Legion saw he's asleep. Let's get him while he's a bit unaware. And so they whip up the, the storm and the boat is about to be swamped. And I'm sure Legion the whole time is thinking, yeah, boy, he's going down. We're going to be free from the torment that was going to come our way. And how excited they would have been in their cackling evil voices as they thought about what it was that they were going to do as they watched the, the crazy wind and waves about to take that boat down. And then as they're watching, suddenly they see a figure in the crazy rock of it all just kind of stand up and give a wave of the hand and say to all that they had stirred up, shut up. Be still. And then, as demon is watching, as legion, the demon is watching, 
demons is watching, in disbelief, all of a sudden, all that they had created, all the noise and fury and torment that was about to take him down, all of that activity suddenly, whoosh, sea like glass. No more waves, just calm sea. And you've got to imagine, as Legion is watching that, he's saying to himself, the jig is up. And then he has to just watch as that boat makes its way from the middle of the Sea of Galilee and have to anticipate. And probably because there was no sail at this point, they had to put out the oars to get across. And then all he hears is the... And the little puddles as they make their way across. And he has to hear that little sound of the oar, sound of the oar, another little splash, another little splash. And Jesus coming right at his destination. How frightening that must have been for the demons. But I mean, how amazing is Jesus that he's going right into the teeth of one of the worst of all demonic activities as it exists for them. So it's with that backdrop in mind that this is what the demoniac is waiting and looking at that we then read this story where they, they, they run at Jesus as he comes there. Let me, let me finish the story. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. What's interesting about this passage is the word beg is used over and over again. And it's used in almost all of the varying forms that are available to you in the Greek language. Uh, up in verse 28, there the demons cry out, I beg you don't torture us. Then in verse 31, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Again, this idea of the abyss is, is perhaps what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 when he talks about the end of time. And he says in Matthew 25 that depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for you for the devil and his holy angels. Also in Revelation and in Jude, they speak about an imprisonment of the evil spirits called Tartarus. And, and probably that's the, the idea that, the, that Legion has in mind, is that he's about to send us into Tartarus. Please don't send us into Tartarus just yet. But in, in, So anyway, there's the begging from the demons. And then, after that, verse 32, we have another, another begging. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, their third begging, to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And there is a steep bank there, and it also is a great vantage point, as I mentioned earlier, to watch that boat come all the way across. Verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off, and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. By the way, Mark's gospel tells us that this man was in these desolate places among the tombs, and everybody was afraid of him. Nobody could subdue him. Even with chains, they could not chain him down. And... They were all afraid of him. 
Could you imagine if you had to kind of walk past that part of, of the Sea of Galilee and your mom told you to run an errand and like that guy is up there? And you're, you, I mean, think of how frightened you would be even if you came within a kilometer of this guy's little tomb area where he lived. I mean, a man that could not be subdued who had supernatural strength and was tormented and was a wild madman cutting himself, as, uh, as, as Mark's Gospel also says, damaging himself, uh, tormented beyond anything that we could begin to imagine. And, but to think that this has now finally been rid of in your community and this man whom we loved is now healed and can come back back into community with us. You think, wow, what, what a great blessing. But when the men go out to see this, it says they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't that wild? Like, I think how fearful they would have been, and yet now, a small little touch of Jesus, of the divine, of the righteous, of unbridled, godly power, throws a fear that kind of just cleanses through your whole soul. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked, and in some cases this is translated begged, but it's another word of begged in, in this gospel. They begged Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. You know, this last begging, I think it's just a sweet picture, isn't it? Imagine this healed man who now has Jesus come to him out of seemingly nowhere, cares enough about him to take a detour from his own ministry, come all the way across the Sea of Galilee and changes his life. And now as Jesus is about to get into the boat, imagine the sadness in this man's eyes as he says, please, please let me go with you. But Jesus sent him away saying, go home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So as we, as we look at this, this whole scene, you know, it's a, a rather in, intense one, to, to, to say the least. And uh, this is a, kind of a cool depiction there, yes, of the, of the man running up on Jesus and kind of flailing. And I think it was maybe one of his, his last-ditch efforts to try to intimidate Jesus. He couldn't do it by swamping the boat. He couldn't do it by taking him under or putting him into the abyss. So now when he comes up, Mark's Gospel says that he makes a run at Jesus. That he runs right at him, screaming at the top of his voice. And imagine, I guess, this intimidation factor that would have occurred. And, and to be able to say Jesus' name, to say his name is, is also an intimidation factor. Because in the first century, to say that you know someone's name is to say that you've got a little bit of something on them from a spiritual standpoint. I don't understand exactly how that works, but it's also why Jesus shows him domination over him by saying, yeah, yeah, you know my name? Now tell me your name, because I'm going to have dominance over you. You just watch. But anyway, so this man tries to intimidate Jesus, runs up at him, this, this kind of radical moment of just like, ah! And, and Jesus, you know, just, just, just standing there in the midst of all of that, because I think Jesus recognized that this isn't just a loud man in torment. This is 
a really tormented man in real sadness and desperation. And I think Jesus saw through the outward bravado of the, of the demonic to be able to look at the real heart of the man, that this is a hurting man. Again, as, as Mark says, he was, he was cutting himself with, with shards of, of uh, pots. You know, he had the chains that were hanging from him. He was naked among the tombs. He wasn't in any way going to be accepted among his own people. And even the demons drove him in to this horrible, desolate area of, of living among the tombs. And here's the beauty of Jesus. As hurting as we may become, like hurting beyond belief, where we feel like we are damaged goods, where we feel like we're beyond reach of any help in our lives, you get to this point of self-destruction as well because you don't know what to do to feel anymore. And so you just do things that are self-destructive, that are senseless, but nonetheless, it gives you some sort of a sensation at least rather than just among the kind of the apathetic, just blah of, of what life could become. And, and you think that you're so far from Jesus. You think that you are so far from even the caring sight of Jesus that you have, in a sense, disqualified yourself based on what has been going on in your life, that there's no Jesus that's going to be involved in your life. Imagine this man's surprise when over the Sea of Galilee comes this boat as if out of nowhere. And why is it that Jesus would suddenly take this detour out of his ministry? It has no normal progression in what it was that he was trying to achieve. I think it's because Jesus knew, even though a Gentile, Jesus knew that this was a man incredibly hurting. And his only hope was Jesus. That's the case for every one of us. No matter what place you get to, no matter how dark it gets, no how much you despair, no matter how much you think you're beyond the reach of help of anyone or even God himself, God's thoughts for you, according to Psalm 139, outnumber the sands of the seashore. God is watching. You're the apple of his eye. Not in moments like this when you're here on a Sunday service. You're the apple of his eye when your life is this. And it's at this moment when Jesus decides, I'm going into the depth of the uncleanness of this man's life. And as I go, I'm going to put everything else on hold that everybody seems to be hanging on me for and go and take care of one soul who is radically tormented. I don't know where you kind of see yourself right now. Maybe I'm catching you at a good season of life, but if I'm catching you at a dark season of life, well then, appreciate this Jesus that you see here in this story. This Jesus who is more than eager to take the detour. This Jesus who perseveres no matter what is thrown at him as he gets across the lake. And this Jesus who will no doubt arrive, no matter what it is that you might try to throw at him, he's going to keep coming your way. No matter how much you fight off his embrace, he's still coming for you to give you that loving embrace of healing that you need so dearly. It's not coming from anywhere else. 
It's, it's not as though Muhammad is, is going to kind of solve this for you. Pick any other philosophical idea on earth. It's only going to come by God's designed plan of Jesus. His death on a cross. His blood that has the power to wash and cure. And not only does all of that, but it's obvious that even in your life, since you're here, that he was more than willing to arrange time and space so that you could have the opportunity to know exactly this from him. And so as we encounter these people that see Jesus, I'm going to look at the demon, the crowds that see this radical, wonderful transformation, and then finally, the healed man. And the demon, first point is, ain't too loud to beg. This is really just about the power of Jesus on this idea here. In that, here's, here's this man having to deal with thousands, thousands of demons. And as these thousands of demons can't get Jesus off of their trail, who is this guy? I'm sure they're thinking, which guess is in this kid, as he keeps coming their way. Who is this guy? And he finally arrives, and they've got this one last ploy, as I mentioned, and in they come, rah, you know, running out of top of their intimidation voice, top of you know, making themselves look all amazingly frightening as they've done to everybody else in the town who keep a wide berth around them. But but you know, Jesus, as he sees him, he's probably thinking to himself, You trying to flex on me? Don't be silly. And Jesus is just standing there cool as can be maybe in a bit of a superhero pose I like to think of it that way and there he stands as this man is trying to run at him downhill all kinds of momentum and all he can do as he gets closer and closer to Jesus as he's trying to scream and be intimidating is just be crushed by the holiness of his presence into a subordination of utter subservient holiness and, and to be crushed into the ground as he just falls prostrate before Jesus. And all he can do as he finally gets close enough to Jesus is realize who he has come in contact with. And fall at his feet as though flat to the ground and, and just cry up to him and finally beg. And you know, these are the demons that are trying to intimidate Jesus. And they got nothing on Jesus. There's no flinching involved here. All they are trying to do is try to negotiate, try to stall, try to do whatever it is they can in the face of the greatest power that they're ever going to encounter. And just as they thought that they could drown Jesus, and that passage earlier talks about, we're going to be drowned, we're going to be drowned, as the disciples see this. Imagine being the disciples that are right there behind Jesus. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> what? What is coming our way? And I think they must have been comforted. As afraid as they were of Jesus, and this dude can like calm the storm. At this moment, as afraid as they were of Jesus calming the storm, I'm sure they were all like, if this is Jesus, like, okay, what's he going to do here? And, and, and just to get, get behind him. But I mean, how, how sweet is that? I mean, imagine, you know, if you're on the, the schoolyard, for an example, you know, and here comes the big bully yelling, intimidating you as he's running at you. And all of a sudden, 
your big brother steps in front of you. And you're like, oh, hey, okay. <laughs> this is going to go down a whole lot better than I, than I ever imagined. And I think for the disciples to see this picture of Jesus, it was, that's my rabbi. My rabbi can beat up your rabbi. You probably put that little sticker on the back of their boat, right? And, and, and there it was all crushed. But, but you know, as, as much as we want to fear evil, as much as we want to um, be insecure about where we stand as we try to make our way through a, a fallen world, if we're really safely with Jesus, then we are safe. And there's no place where we ought not want to be other than in Christ, remaining in Christ, and to just marvel at how things go when we really are in Christ. Does it mean that there won't be kind of, you know, wild situations that occur in our lives? Yes, there will be wild situations, even as the Baptists shared a bit here about wild situations in their life. Yes, there will be. But you're in Christ. So enjoy the ride. It's going to be a wild ride, but you've got Jesus who's there with you every step of the way. And, and ultimately, as much as the demons want to try to negotiate with Jesus, as much as any of us, if we find ourselves on the wrong side of Judgment Day, at the end, that we might want to try to negotiate with Jesus, that's the other thing that's kind of frightening about this passage. There's no negotiating. And ultimately, what does he do? He sends them into the herd of pigs, and that herd of pigs goes into the abyss itself, down into that place that they feared the most. And off they went. To their torment. Off they went. This man having been cured and healed. These demons were destroyed. Or these demons were put into the place of, of, of torment. That was prepared for them. And it happened to them right then and there. And for any of us who want to be like. Oh but um, how about this? How about we. Mm, you know what? You knew. You knew better. And, and for us better to be in Jesus. Than to be trying to negotiate with Jesus. When the time really comes. But that's not the only person I want to look at in this picture of Jesus. It's also the townspeople. Again, as I mentioned, their lives were pretty messed up by having this fellow in the midst of, of, of their community. And what a, what a frightening thing that must have been. And even if pigs must have been a big part of, of what they did for a living. And, and actually in the Greek culture, pigs were used for sacrifice to idols. So many of those pigs may have been even being prepared for some sort of nasty demonic, idolatrous sacrifice, or it just may have been just commerce of all of the pigs that were there. But these pigs were close enough to this demon that a lot of people in the town had to be close enough to this guy. If you ever wanted to go, which was a big deal, to go and honor your ancestors in that community, you had to navigate your way and see, you know, what's that guy doing? Is he asleep? You know, can, can we make our way into the tomb right now? Or, or do we, I mean, this was their lives of, of having this kind of a a disruption in the very middle of their community. And now, how thankful would you be if your neighborhood had a demonic man possessed by thousands of demons kind of running around your neighborhood? You know, you didn't know whether you could send your kids out to play or not. You know, well, yeah, go ahead, but you know what? Um, just watch out for a naked man with chains hanging from his arms. Don't really like accept any candy from that man whatsoever, please. But, I mean, if you had that in your community, that would that'd be like the worst thing going on in your life. Yeah. You think, how can we move? How can we, what, what can we do? And all of a sudden, that is completely reversed. And now he's said to have been of not only just sound mind, but the word that is used there, a very wise, reasonable mind. 
this guy's got it going on. He is together all of a sudden. And now he's in the midst of their community. You come out, you're like, oh, amen. But instead, they're like, um, we want you to go. We want you to go. And my second point is, ain't too wild to beg. I mean, they ought to have been impressed. They ought to have been wild. But it's okay, Tim. <laughs> they ought to have been astounded that this was the power of this man to give them back their relative, to give them back their member of their community. And, and he's back sound, he's dressed again, that's a big positive, and, and, and there with them, but instead, because they had come in contact with the power of God, and they were not willing to surrender themselves to the power of God, they instead said, get away from me. This can happen to us too, is that we see the astounding evidence of creation, the astounding evidence of Jesus' resurrection, the astounding evidence of changed lives all about us. And instead of saying, wow, give me some of that. How do I surrender and align myself with that? Instead, because we want to do what we want to do, we still want to have our own fleshly fun. We instead say, you know what, Jesus? Get away from me too. And they begged Jesus in this story to get as far from them as he could. Because he also had a bit of an inconvenience to their lives. And when we surrender over to Jesus, there's going to be some things that are rearranged in our lives. You're not going to be making some sacrifice to an idol with that pig anymore. And, and there was some cost for them to actually consider. As there is for us. But the trade-off is off the charts. What it is that we have when we're in alignment with Jesus is more than beautiful and amazing. And then finally, this is the beautiful picture. Ain't too proud to beg. I love this picture of this man. And I remember studying it the first time a couple years ago in the Gospel of Mark. And I don't, you know this, I don't, I don't cry very much. But seeing this picture of him at the side of the boat, holding on to Jesus and begging him, begging him, please, please, what you, you, I had nothing. I was in despair. I was destroying myself. And you changed everything to come all the way over here for me? And you rescued me from something that I can't even imagine being rescued from? And then you destroyed it? in front of me and gave me the chance to be reconciled and cured and, and also restored to community. Please, wherever you go, let me go with you. I want to be with you. I want to stay as close to you as I possibly can. I love, I love this picture of this man who is as humble as they come, having now had everything back to him. He's gotten everything he wanted back in life. I'd rather be, okay, cool, that was nice. All right, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm out of here. Thanks. You know all the rest of the people that were a little bit afraid to have to rearrange their lives? Uh, me too. So, you know what? Be warm, well fed. I'm going to go hang out with you. No, instead it was like, please. I, you know what? I'm a Gentile. I know you're going back into a place where I'm going to be rejected. Let me get in the boat with you. Let me go where you go. And this has got to be our heart. Yeah. Is that we've got to remember where we were yeah. when Jesus came for us. Yeah. What was it like when you were in despair? When you had no hope? 
and Jesus came and found you. Or maybe you're at a place where this hasn't really necessarily happened yet. Well, take heart, because this is what awaits you. Is a place where you come to see Jesus so clearly that you can't help but love him more than any other agenda that you have in your life. More than any other allegiance or affection that you might want to exercise, that you will love Jesus. And you will. You will love Jesus to this degree that this man does, begging to go with him if you really allow him to have your life and to cure it and to heal it, to make you whole, to make you the person you were always meant to be, to make you the person that God has always had in mind for you to be. It really does await you. It is simply surrender over to Jesus in all of this without the resistance that the rest of his compatriots had. But him being able to align himself with Jesus wants nothing more than to be close to Jesus. And, and for us as well to remember that. But instead of coming with Jesus, Jesus does say to him, I think Jesus realized this is not going to go well. If, if, if here you are sitting at my feet as a disciple is what is seen by the rest of the Jews. Because here's the beauty of Jesus is that he didn't even want to jeopardize his mission to the Jews. He wanted to give the Jews every chance, so precious were they as a possession to God, that he didn't want to jeopardize it with this man. So instead, he allows this man to be his ambassador to the Decapolis. And he goes to the, the cities on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and he tells them everything that Jesus has done for them. What a great way to testify about Jesus. Sometimes we go and talk to people, we want to talk to them about some doctrine that we like. And you know what? Amen. We're saved by grace, so doctrine is important. But you know what's more compelling? To sit down with someone over a cup of coffee or take them to lunch and just share, this is what God has done for me. Or as a parallel statement, even as this passage says, with a good idea to the Trinity, this is what Jesus has done for me. And so in a, in a simple closing charge for, for all of us, this is what I want us to do even before we come back here on Wednesday. Find somebody and remember before you do where you were and where Jesus and how Jesus brought you healing. And tell somebody everything that Jesus has done for you. Not just, here's how you get to Yates Elementary School. Not just we have a really cool men's event. Not just we have this incredible women's event, keep calm and know that I am God. But to really make it a priority in the next couple days to find somebody that you can have a bit of a talk with, as this man went and did, and tell them, this is what Jesus has done for me. And then come back, and let's talk about it Wednesday night. Let's talk about what it was like to allow the power of God to flow through us, to affect somebody else, to be an agent of the Holy Spirit, and to share what it is that Jesus has done for you, and what it is that Jesus can do for those that will meet. Thank you. Amen. Woo!